This is a 30-second stereo radio for Trade School in the Home Depot. Spot code YHTFD00RGA0. Spot title, Project Planning Homeowner 101. So you're ready to tackle a home improvement project on your own. Let's make a plan. Take a free workshop from the Home Depot and get live help from our expert associates. Whether you're upgrading your kitchen or overhauling your bathroom, we'll provide everything you need to get started. You'll know what to look for and what to avoid, so you can take on any project with confidence. Homeowner 101 Livestream Workshops from the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Welcome to Riffin' with Raph and AD. Coming to you live from the Copple Chevrolet GMC Studios. On air and online at theticketfm.com. Now here's former Huskers, Chris Rapp and Aaron Davis. All right, we're back again. It's Wednesday night. It's Riffin' with Rapp and AD, the quickest two hours of the week. We're here with our guest, Coach George Darlington. Coach, I was wanting, well, actually, I wanted to ask you, for me, I thought like a big transition of Nebraska football was just after the 91 Citrus Bowl against Georgia Tech. Would you would you say the same thing that went the stuff that went on after that? No, not really. We uh, inherited uh, had a, a consistent program through the uh, 70s and the 80s uh, leading up to the 90s. We had played for the national championship some in the 80s. Um, you know, we were often playing for it. Like one year we lost to, the year you mentioned, to Georgia Tech and Washington, and they were co-national champs. Those were the only two teams we lost to. Uh, we had great consistencies, but uh, we didn't win, quote, the big game, which uh, people refer back to. We were the only team, I believe, to win over 100 games, both in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And it was especially interesting because in the 70s, we didn't play quite as many games mm-hmm. as we did in the 80s and 90s. Now, I think the, the big thing is, uh, um, you know, we were consistent. Uh, we, we lost uh, the Georgia Tech. We didn't play very well. But uh, you have to remember that... Uh, 18 out of 20 years, uh, we were in a major bowl, or 18 out of 20 years, the game came down to Nebraska or Oklahoma, who won Mm -hmm. the league. Mm -hmm. And only two out of 20 years were we not in that scenario. And so, uh, no, uh, and we all looked to the 90s, and of course we finally got over the hump, if you want to word it that way. But the consistency from the other years was a bedrock or a foundation for the success in the 90s and the early 200s. Coach, when we switched from the, uh, from the 5-2 to the 4-3, would you say that was a factor in just kind of the, uh, the, the dominance defensively? Obviously, you have to have pl- personnel because you can regard what defense you want. If you don't have the personnel, it doesn't matter. But would you say that switch from the, uh, from the 5 to the 4-3 – was a big move when we started playing the schools, the Miamis, the Florida States, the Floridas, et cetera. How pivotal was that? 
Oh, I don't think very pivotal in one respect. You're too young to remember that in, uh, I think, 84, we were number one in the nation defense in uh, our old scheme, I guess you'd say, the 5-2. Well, the the fact is with uh, the players that we had, we had to play a tremendous amount of zone in those areas because I mentioned earlier we had some good players that made the move from offense to defense, but they weren't the most skilled players that we had on the team. In the 90s, when we made the we made the move to, uh, uh, you know, the four, you know, whatever you want to call it. We made it because of weakness, hmm. not because of strength. Hmm. We played Oklahoma in Norman in a game which we won. We went down and scored. Uh, they took the ball. They started marching against our base defenses, including blitzes and stuff like that. And we got close to the goal line, and we went to our substitution package, which was what we ended up playing mostly in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people on the staff weren't too excited about it because it would have infringed on how many people they would be coaching, etc. But anyway, we stopped them. They kicked the field goal. Well, they uh, kick off to us. We go down the score. We're up 14-3, as I remember. They started marching again. Got down close. We switched to our what we called our substitution defense, mm-hmm. and we stopped them, and they kicked another field goal. Well, from that game on, and as I remember, the latter part of the game, we played with uh, – with, uh, you know, four down linemen instead of three, really. Uh, and uh, we made the transition because we didn't have enough tackles and middle guards to play against the Oklahomas of the world mm-hmm. or the Miamis of the world. We were a little short there, so we made the transition. And ultimately what we did is we took uh, – um, linebackers and put them up at defensive end mm-hmm. uh, while, uh, uh, our new athletic director he was one of them in that in that capacity and then we <laughs> moved safeties to linebackers and and then recruited as much speed as we could and so that was the transition that we went to we did play other fronts uh, besides the uh, the four two, if you want to talk about it that way, but uh, by walking linebacker up, field depth, and, uh, and part of the, most of that came from the study of the University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recruited California. I knew some of the players they had recruited. They beat Miami forty nothing, as I remember mm-hmm. in a bowl game. And yeah, I thought, now wait a minute, they don't have any more talent than we have, if as much. They've got to be doing something right. And Tony Samuel and I flew down to Arizona, and they didn't want to share anything. <laughs> and they said, well, Coach, we appreciate you coming, and et cetera. We aren't going to talk to you about our defense, but you're, will, you're uh, 
able to look at the film and we'll set you up. Well, of course, Tony and I uh, watched the film, took some notes, and uh, their coordinator came in and uh, he said, well, I'm glad that you're able to to uh, look at the defense. What do you think? And <laughs> one or both of us told him everything they were doing. And he said, oh, you, you guys recognize what we're doing? I said, yeah, and we both acted like we were scholars and said, yeah, we understand what you're doing. <laughs> so we uh, came back to Lincoln and we incorporated that, incorporated that scheme with modifications uh, on our own part uh, before the spring. And uh, we mixed it in with our uh, defense that uh, you all referred to and then also ran the bubble hmm. defense, which gave a, a odd, even look with the linebacker walking up, heel depth. And remember one thing, not to talk about a great coach in the past, but I remember halfway through, uh, Milt Tenniper said, well, we're going to rip that bubble defense to shred. <laughs> and uh, so we said, okay, and, Later on in the spring, uh, he came in and said, there's only one thing we think we can do to beat that front. And he explained, you know, what it was. And, and of course, we made a little modest uh, adjustment, thanks, thankfully, to his comment. And so that was incorporated as a part of our scheme. And uh, we used the two schemes, if you will, uh, during the whole run of the 90s. And, but the big thing is we got people that could play man. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got people with, with skill set where you could do the things that it wasn't that we didn't want to do them in the 70s and 80s. But we were smart enough to figure out we're not going to win if we ask a player with average ability to cover a future NFL number one draft choice. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be Einstein to figure that out. Right. Coach, I'm going to say a few names, and I just want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind as far as your ability. I'm going to say Steve Car- Steve Kramer. Carmer. Steve Carmer. Yeah, we got to get the names. <laughs> Come on, AD. <laughs> I was thinking of the show Kramer at the same time. <laughs> I'll, I'll say I'll say number 31 to save you a little yeah, bit the there. People in this hometown will be calling you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, he was a good, solid player for us. Uh, Eric Stokes. Eric was uh, a guy that uh, did everything right. He uh, was a very, very consistent player. He went on and played one year for Seattle, and then they hired him in the front office, and I think he's still involved in administration for a pro team, so mm-hmm. I'm not sure which one. I think in D.C. is with but, the Washington football yeah. team now. Yeah, he's, he's uh, uh, you know, just was a solid player, very consistent, and, uh, you know, really got the most out of his ability. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to go with uh, Chris Van Norman. Well, he was, again, another solid player that we had, had decent uh, – skill set, but uh, not uh, an NFL draft choice. 
Baron Miles? Baron was uh, as good a player as I was ever associated with. Uh, he has a long career with uh, in Canada. In fact, the last time I saw him was at Lawrence Phillips' funeral in mm-hmm. California. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was as competitive a person I've ever been around, just as Tom is the most consistent person I've ever been around. If you're going to play tiddlywinks with Baron, it's going to be like the Super Bowl for tiddlywinks. <laughs> and that really helped him uh, become a fine player when, on paper, you know, he was a low-round draft choice for the for the Steelers mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, he didn't fit the height, weight, and speed that they were looking for mm-hmm. and ended up uh, getting hurt. And then... Uh, after they cut him the next year, he went to Canada. And I don't know how many cha- uh, first-team All-Canadians he won, but a ton of them. And just, uh, you know, from Roselle, New Jersey, where they had great pizza at halftime uh, <laughs> at, the, at the snack shop, uh, he was uh, obviously a tremendous player. I got another one. Kenny Wilhite. Well, he uh, he works uh, down at the football office right now, of course. Mm-hmm. And Kenny was a very competitive guy. I'm trying to think if I think he might have come in as a wingback or something. And I could be wrong. He might have uh, not be real excited about moving to DB, but he was a very very good player. Coach Tony Velen. Tony gave the greatest pre-game talk I've ever heard. I haven't heard them all. <clears throat> but uh, before we went to play a uh, uh, little team from Florida who were three-point favorites, the uh, University of Florida. <laughs> little team from he, Florida. <laughs> he, he spoke to the team and evaluated every position on our team and uh, went through every – not through every player, but every position, and, of course, the dominant players, with the idea that, hey, we're going to kick the crap out of Florida. (laughs) And then we got on the bus. (laughs) It was a tremendous thing because you didn't necessarily expect him to be a great orator like that, but uh, it was, you know, spellbound, quite frankly. And Mm -hmm. I didn't hear all all the talks by players because I had to go up to press box a lot but in this case we were waiting to board buses to go to the stadium and it was tremendous i mean he set the tone and explained why we were going to kill him Hmm. coach we got a few more minutes but i want to ask you this you know you recruit a player and you coach them and then you're doing the same thing again but you you know i'm you always you try to establish relationships with players, not just after they were, you know, when they were here, but after they're gone. Why was it important to you? Because I think you communicated with the late Lawrence Phillips more than uh, most people did, if anyone. Why was that important to you to stay connected with Lawrence through letters, through visits, et cetera? Why was that important for you? Well, Lawrence was a, a tremendous team player. 
probably no player was more team-oriented than Lawrence Phillips mm-hmm. and uh, Roger Craig, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of other players, too, and I'm not trying to short them. Right. But the idea that Lawrence Phillips uh, was in it for Lawrence Phillips was foolish because uh, he was so focused on the team and could care less if he carried the ball one time or 35 times with a broken thumb down at K-State. Mm. Uh, and that was he was misjudged by that. There's no question he had problems with uh, uh, women and uh, – the night he got in trouble, as I understand, he was home in bed after the game. He had the uh, Heisman Trophy pretty much wrapped up even after three games. And uh, supposedly a couple girlfriends woke him up and took him over to uh, the house where his girlfriend was. And he slapped her and first got arrested, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of stories about Lawrence. He was uh, eventually went to Barcelona to play ball, and uh, he uh, had the best relationship with the Spanish kids. Uh, and he told a teammate, "Well, I enjoy having a relationship with them because they don't prejudge me." Hmm. And uh, he was uh, again guy that had. Uh, had issues. I'm not saying he didn't, and he wouldn't say either, but uh, he was uh, uh, as good a, a team player that's ever played in Nebraska, and that comes as a shock to a lot of people because they figure, oh, gee, this guy's a doodlum from Southern California, and which, of course, wasn't the case. Absolutely not. Coach, we can't tell you how much we've enjoyed having you on the show tonight. I want to have you back on again because I want to talk about uh, the coaching uh, football one-on-one and how you've been doing that for so many years and how many people you've educated on the game. During your tenure, and you still continue to do it, you've educated more fans <laughs> that they know what they're talking about. you know. So, Coach, <laughs> tell your family hello. We appreciate you for doing this. I appreciate you, and we're definitely going to have you back on the show again, Coach. Thank you so much for your time, Coach. Okay, thank you very much. You bet. All right, everyone. That was an awesome interview again tonight with Coach George Darlington. We forgot to ask him what he thought about you. Oh, man, I'm glad we didn't because Coach would have let me have it. The greatest <laughs> receiver ever to play Nebraska no, football. No, to never play. <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably be like, you cost me a run. <laughs> but everyone, that wraps up another Rippin' with Raff and AD on the quickest two hours of the week, and we will talk to you all next week.
This is a 30-second stereo radio for Trade School in the Home Depot. Spot code YHTFD00RGA0. Spot title, Project Planning Homeowner 101. So you're ready to tackle a home improvement project on your own. Let's make a plan. Take a free workshop from the Home Depot and get live help from our expert associates. Whether you're upgrading your kitchen or overhauling your bathroom, we'll provide everything you need to get started. You'll know what to look for and what to avoid, so you can take on any project with confidence. Homeowner 101 Livestream Workshops from the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Wendy's 2 for $6 lets you mix and match some of our best items, like... Dave Single with a 10-piece crispy nugs. Medium strawberry lemonade with a spicy chicken sandwich. Spicy chicken with a Dave Single. Dave Single with a strawberry lemonade. Strawberry lemonade. Strawberry lemonade. If you're into that. Chicken Sam. Crispy nugs. Crispy nugs. Strawberry lemonade. Dave's. Dave's. Nugs. Nugs. Sam. Sam. Whew. Pick what you want at a price you want. <clears throat> Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's two for six. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. U.S. Wendy's on the card only. Single item at regular price.